0: Hi everyone, I am Evaiwa, and this is Fae for Thought, a podcast where you and I bond over our love of all things Fae, while I share with you my thoughts about some of our favorite fantasy TV shows. If you have listened to the last few episodes, you probably know that right now this podcast follows the last season of Vikings. At first, I, I wanted to do a podcast episode for each Vikings episode, but after the holidays had passed, Happy New Year, by the way, and I watched the fifth episode of the sixth season that aired on January 1st, I realized that I just do not have a lot of thoughts and commentary about every episode to fill a whole podcast episode, so I am going to do one episode of the podcast for two episodes of the show, which is why this podcast episode airs now and not sooner. So right now we will be talking about episode 5, The Key, and episode 6, Death and the Serpent. Both episodes were written by Michael Hurst and directed by David Frazee. So, in the fifth episode, not a lot of things happened, technically speaking, but a lot of things were set up for the next one. A bunch of Yaros, Aros, Kings, and other kinds of royalty arrive at King Olaf's kingdom to discuss the whole new King of Norway business. At a dinner gathering with some of them, Bjorn makes this speech about the benefits of fighting others rather than fighting amongst themselves, and most of them appear to agree. Olaf shares his plan and insists that Bjorn should be elected fairly, not just anointed, but at the same time, he doesn't seem very excited about the idea of other candidates, which is how someone can be elected fairly. You can be elected fairly if you are literally the only person in the race. There is nothing fair about it. And I gotta say again, I have mentioned in the previous episodes how King Olaf is portrayed as this very smart Yoda-type guy, but at the same time, he does and says things that are kind of stupid, to be perfectly honest, like this whole election business, he's like, pure needs to be elected. But also, I don't want anybody else running against him. Like, what did you mean exactly by election? Like, what else did you have in mind? So, understandably, other people are interested in the position of a king. For example, King Harold, who smiles and waves, seems very supportive in general, even offers to greet some of the coming parties and introduce them to the idea of a king of all Norway, which probably is his way to gather some support from them. After all, he has always wanted to be king of all Norway, and Bjorn, to be perfectly fair, he has never expressed any such notion. We see that uh, Shethilfat knows, and Harald are kind of glaring at each other like they have a secret in common, like they are plotting something, and to be perfectly fair, that does make sense. Harold wants to be elected king, and because of this he wants to undermine, so to speak, Bjorn's authority, and Shetil has his own personal issues with Bjorn, Bjorn does not believe his story about Foki, and he wants to go to Iceland with Chateau and investigate some more, which understandably is not the best for Chateau, so it would be good for him as well to get rid of Bjorn in some way. It seems like Chetil is a little bit unsure, perhaps. It seems like he may have some regrets, because he approaches Bjorn with this very weird conversation that goes like, Bjorn, what? Uh, nothing, but may the cats be with you. <laughs> Which was one of the weirdest conversations ever. Like he clearly wanted to warn Bjorn about something, but at the same time... <laughs> What came out of his mouth made absolutely no sense. And Bjorn is not the smartest person (laughs) there. So he probably just did not pay any attention to this interaction and didn't realize that there was something weird going on. By the way, Bjorn seems to be way into the idea of him being king. Even though he only got that idea like yesterday, it wasn't even his idea. We have only seen Bjorn caring about Kattegat. He was even reluctant to coming to King Olaf's kingdom to rescue Harald because he was worried about what would happen to Kattegat in his absence. He seems to share the same naive belief that Olaf has. Olaf, again, seems way too naive to expect from an election with different candidates that everybody would vote for Pjorn. You have various candidates. Different people have different opinions. That's the whole point of an election. I gotta mention one scene when everybody was just walking around and some of the main characters walked through something that seemed like like dinosaur bones or something do you did anyone else see that what are these giant bones first of all why are they there what is the point of them why do we see them why Before the episode ends, we see that the election has begun. Some of the most, I'm guessing, important kings and jarls and so on have gathered there to vote and the way the voting goes is with different tokens or something, with different colors, each color representing a different candidate and they throw these tokens, depending on their vote, in one giant bucket filled with water. And I do not understand the whole point of throwing them in an already filled with water bucket. Doesn't that make things more complicated? They would have to fish all of the tokens from the water to see who has been elected. Or is it more of a symbolic thing? Maybe we, we will find out in the next episode, maybe we won't. Back in Katagat, we see the servant girl that is obsessed with Bjorn that seduced him with the most cheesy pickup line ever. I have her name somewhere in my notes, but truly I just do not care about her, so I decided to not look up her name. See just that one servant girl that is weirdly obsessed with Bjorn. She's standing next to the water, looking, maybe hoping for Bjorn to come on a boat or a ship. And Torvi is approaching her. They have a little conversation from which Torvi learns that this stupid girl is obsessed with Bjorn. And she shares her experience about how every time Bjorn left... And then came back safe, but he was always further away from her each time he came back. And the stupid girl is like, It will be different with me. No, it won't. I mean, Torbi has at least children with Bjorn, they were actually married and he's still pulled away from her. He is now with a different person, who is also carrying his child. He does not care about you, and also he would probably not be very excited to sleep with you again after you were like, the gods wants us to sleep together, it will bring you good luck and fortune, so let's make out and stuff. And then he went away, and is now very much screwed. I mean, he will get even more screwed in the next episode, but still. He does not care about you, stop wasting our screen time on her. It seems like a very, very pointless storyline, unlike Lager, the storyline. We see Gunhild arriving at her village. And by the way, Gunhild has the most awesome and long braid I have ever seen on this show. She looks magnificent and I am in love with her. I am not that excited about her when she has her talk with Lagertha. Lagertha updates her on everything that has happened, tells her about Hali's death and in response to that, And here it goes like... (sighs) This is all the commentary she has on how is that. Just... (sighs) She just sighs. It is a very weird reaction. It doesn't make any sense to me, given the fact that Gunhild had this prophetic dream about what had happened, and she was so worried and concerned about that, that she wrote to Agerda's village. Given her condition, the fact that she's pregnant, she risked all of that in order to find out what had happened, and when she learns that something very bad has happened, she's like, <sighs> I don't know. And they don't even talk about that more, they don't go like, oh god, poor Torvi." someone should talk to her, someone should inform her, like, immediately about what has happened. No, no. Lagertha is just thinking about her role in all of this. She seems to be very hard on herself, she feels like she failed, she didn't protect him, she puts all the guilt on herself, but Gunnhild goes like, well, Björn probably made a mistake when he let all of these people go, because, let's be honest, if he had killed them, none of this would have happened. But Lagerta is very protective of Björn. She says that, well, everybody is making mistakes, so yeah, uh, it doesn't matter that he made a mistake but I guess it matters when you make a mistake or you feel like you've made a mistake in not protecting Hano. I feel like the fact that Bjorn is her son and Ragnar's son, she feels like he is perfect, just like Ragnar is perfect. I feel like after his death, she has completely forgotten how self-absorbed Ragnar was, how he had a lot of negative traits that truly annoyed her when he was alive, but now she seems very nostalgic every time she thinks of Ragnar, like their relationship was the best ever, which is, as we know, is not true, but that is something that happens when a lot of time has passed and people seem to remember only the good stuff. Their conversation moves on to talking about the village and how it should be defended because the bandits will probably come back, and that is true. That is a valid point. And again, why do you not somehow call for reinforcements? Why do you not contact Torvi? Why are you trying to do all of this by yourself when you have clearly failed? Why are you doing this? Doesn't like Torvi deserve the chance? To avenge her child. Aren't Vikings all about revenge and after all she is his mother so it should be her right to avenge her child. Why is nobody thinking about Torby? I'm not mentioning Bjorn because first of all Bjorn is very very far away so, so it would take him a while to get there and let's be honest all of us know that Bjorn doesn't care. But Torvi, Torvi cares. She cares very much about her children. We have seen how she is around them. She is a good mother. She is a caring mother. So you owe it to Torvi to inform her as soon as possible and not wait so much. And not to mention, you would get more people to help you with defending this damn village. Uh, we see how Lagarta, Gunhild and everybody else at the village is preparing for another attack. They seem to prepare something that that involves a lot of wood. They built something very complicated, very interesting. We will see it in the next episode. After all of the work for the day was done, The old shield maidens connect with the young shield maidens by the fire, drink ale together, and probably share with each other war stories. In Kattegat, Hvitserk seems to get worse and worse. He has gathered people to help him move a giant door that will supposedly protect him from Ivor. The woman that we always see around Hvitserk is, again, there, around him. He's just standing there. Meanwhile, Hvitserk's visions seem to get even more terrifying. Hvitzirk sees Tora again and talks to her. It seems like he is actually talking to Tora, the actual person, who is trying to explain to him why is she there. She says to him that what she wants is revenge for her death. So, Hvitserk swears on his sacred arm ring to kill Ivor, and that is when the vision of Torah disappears. We then see Hvitserk back at the crack house, which, as we learn from this episode, seems to be an actual crack house. He is there to buy not just ale, but also mushrooms. And uh, at this point, I'm wondering, aren't mushrooms supposed to make you feel very different from what hvitserk is going through also as far as i know they are not addictive probably those are some kind of other mushrooms but when we see him there and we see that he is buying these so called mushrooms i thought about how um, people from different religions and backgrounds used to use some kind of substances to get them in trance and communicate with the dead and some sort of spirits. So maybe whatever Hvitserk is taking is actually making him see the ghosts of people. Maybe it isn't just his own madness and his own PTSD. Maybe those are actual people. Like the next thing that he sees is a vision of the seer they have a weird conversation the only kind of conversation that the seer ever has with anyone so not surprising and the seer talks about something like um, he repeats a couple of times about how Hvitzirk's destiny or mission or something like this has changed in some way And I'm guessing this is supposed to mean something important. But again, whatever the seer is talking about, we just don't understand. The way he speaks is way too cryptic and Hvitserk is way too high to understand anything. Anyway, what is interesting is that Ivor now shares something similar with Hvitserk. He is also, in a way, tortured by a ghost from his past. But more about that later. First, let's talk about how Ivar and the young Prince Igor are on a very important mission to free Prince Deer, which they manage to do by distracting the guards with a naked woman who is just walking around, naked, not talking. Not doing anything else, just walking in one direction, <laughs> one direction, <laughs> and and the guards are confused, but they decide that they should follow her for some reason, With, I mean, I guess just guys see a naked woman and they're like, okay, I'm interested. So they leave their post, which leaves? Ivor and Igor the perfect opportunity to free Deer, get him out of his cage, get him out of the castle and reunite him with his child bride and I'm pretty sure that it was her who distracted the guards. I'm pretty sure. Like 80% sure. Which makes it even creepier because she is a goddamn child. And Dio does not seem very young, to be perfectly honest. The next day, I assume, Ivor, Oleg and Igor are sitting at the table waiting for dinner to arrive. Oleg presents three giant covered dishes and, being the drama queen that he is, orders the servants to reveal their meal. And ta-da! Today on the menu we have three heads the heads of the guards who let deer escape. Igor is at this point very shook and I am sure Ivor is regretting his decision to include him in the operation free deer. After all, he is just a child that can crack easily under pressure and surprises like this followed by an interrogation could easily crack him. So Ivor That probably wasn't the best move, but thankfully, Igor doesn't reveal anything. But to be perfectly fair, I have a feeling that Oleg probably already knows something. Not even 10 seconds have passed since all of the drama with the heads. Oleg has even more drama planned for this night. He declares that he is going to marry again and introduces his Right to who is, surprise surprise, a doppelganger for Freydis, Ivor's wife, who he had killed in the previous season, and Ivor's face is just jaw dropped, shook all the way, he cannot believe what he sees, we as viewers also cannot believe what we see. And I am wondering, are we going to get some sort of explanation to this. Is this some sort of Xena doppelganger thing? The time has come for me to talk about Xena again. I always see some sort of parallels with Xena warrior princess and this is one more parallel like this. For some reason in the Xenaverse there are three other women who look like Xena, and I mean identical to Zina. One is a princess, Princess Diana, who then becomes queen. Another one is Meg, a woman with very tragic childhood, who is a tavern owner, lastly. And the third one is a priestess, a holy woman who is also a virgin. She was a Hethian virgin. Everyone (laughs) had their own personality. And the reason that they look exactly like Zeno It was like, it just is. It's not like they share a father or a mother or anything. They just looked identical to Zina. And to be fair, for this kind of show, that that was normal. Zina as a show never took itself too seriously. So yeah, we accepted that for whatever it is. We got some pretty funny episodes from this. But here it is not very typical for a show like Vikings, a serious historical drama. So yeah, I'm wondering what will be revealed as the reason for this. So if you don't remember a lot about Radis, she was introduced as a slave girl at first, who eventually won over the heart of Ivor and became his wife. She was the one that made Ivar believe that he was a god. She even promised to him that she will bear him a child, even though Ivar cannot have children, technically. So she used a servant to get her pregnant, then killed him. Not directly, but ordered some other people to kill him in order to get rid of the evidence. And when she finally gave birth to that child, Ivor killed it because it was pretty deformed. And from what I could tell, it wasn't like some sort of deformity that was similar to Ivor's. It was the kind of deformity that wouldn't let the child survive at all. So... It had to be killed. At the end of previous season, Prades was the one who let Bjorn's army inside of Kattegat and Ivor killed her with his bare hands when he learned of her betrayal, there shouldn't be any way for her to be technically alive and be there as the bride of Oleg. When they interact later, Ivor asks her if they have met, and then confronts her about their past as husband and wife. And Katya, to be fair, doesn't seem surprised by it, and she neither confirms nor denies that she is indeed Raides. Now, the next episode shows more interaction between them, but sadly doesn't answer the question If she is previous or not, if anything, it actually raises even more questions. So, the next episode that we are going to talk about is called Death and the Serpent. It aired on January 8th, again written by Michael Hurst and again directed by David Frazee. In this episode, the election for a king of Norway continues, from what I could count. Two guys voted for Bjorn, seven voted for Harold, and one voted for Earl Torkel. Olaf seems very pissed while all this is happening. Bjorn seemed especially disappointed when that lady that he was eyeing in the previous episode did not vote for him, if only at this phone he knew that <laughs> a lot of people wouldn't vote for him so he looks progressively more and more pissed as he sees how many votes Harold gets at the end of the election Olaf has no choice but to pronounce Harold for king and Bjorn now has the same expression in every scene that follows he's just pissed and to be fair i am i am not quite sure why like I mentioned earlier, being king of all Norway was not his idea originally. He has never expressed such interest, but for some reason got very invested in it and is now disappointed. But like, you didn't even want this. you wanted this for the last couple of days, which is nothing. And as we know, Harold has wanted to be king of all Norway ever since we met him as a character. He has wanted this for the longest, and to be fair, in comparison to Bjorn, he is the better choice. Bjorn is not that smart, let's be honest, he is very naive. And also, if you are interested in the actual history of things, the first king is actually Harald Finehair, so in this instance the show is actually following what has happened already in real life. Not like the show always sticks to the actual history of things, but in this case, it did. So now Harold is having the time of his life and is being seemingly very diplomatic with Bjorn, compliments him, tells him that he would need him by his side, invites him to the celebration to which Bjorn passively-aggressively agrees and disappears somewhere. At the celebration, Harold is drunk with ale and power. Like I said, he is having the time of his life. He has a conversation with Olaf in which he reveals that he had made promises. He essentially promised them whatever it is they wanted, without, of course, planning to deliver, like every politician that existed ever. And again, Olaf, aren't you supposed to be smart? How did you not realize that he would not play fair? After all, let us remember that King Olaf is the one that saved Harald from the battlefield and then took over his kingdom, which is a very asholish move. And now King Olaf is surprised that Harald does something like this. Harald also speaks to Shetio, and we learn that Shetio has helped Harald, and the reason that he has done it is because he wants to be king of Iceland. He then proceeds to ask Harald about Bjorn, what he will do with Bjorn. And Harold is like oh no, he will be fine, don't worry. Then looks around, realizes that Bjorn is nowhere to be seen and gets very, very pissed. At this point, Shetu kind of realizes what is going on, hurries back to Bjorn's tent and warns him that Harold is planning to get rid of him. Well yeah, after all this is Harold. He wouldn't want to have someone like Bjorn who will always question his power and will incite others to question his power. Bjorn apparently didn't realize that could happen. Again, Bjorn is not very smart. He should have disappeared the moment that Harald was elected king. But I guess he was too busy soaking. So now in Bjorn's tent they get attacked immediately, lose a lot of men. Although I'm wondering where are all of the other men of Bjorn's army? What happened to them? Aren't they supposed to be around? and to help him. There are a lot of weak points, to be perfectly fair, and the thought of Vikings, as we have previously seen, so I am not surprised that we have another one right now. But let's get back to what is happening. Shadow gets badly wounded, defending Bjorn, and I am Really wondering what what his motivation behind all of this is. He wanted to get rid of Bjorn somehow, so that he wouldn't mess things up in Iceland. And now he risks his life trying to defend him. It doesn't make sense to me. I understand that he might feel guilty, he might have some regrets. But to the point of risking his life for Bjorn... Hmm. Nevertheless, Bjorn picks him up and, together with a couple of other guys who have survived, board a ship, a boat or whatever, whose captain or boss or whatever is named Eric, who is, as we learn, a warrior for hire. Together with his group of men, they help different people for money. This is their way of survival because they were branded as outcasts, I guess, uh, because of some stuff they did in their past and have to live outside of the Viking society or something. At Lagertha's village, we see her cooking together with her granddaughter which is such a sweet domestic moment between both of them that is ruined by the sound of an incoming attack. In the next scene, we see Lagerta already with a black, smoky eye, a very complicated hairdo, and in full armor. And I am wondering how is that possible? How did she have time (laughs) when they just sound the attack... They, there couldn't have been more than a few minutes between that scene and the previous one. But there she is, ready for battle, in the first line of defense, together with the other shield maidens, walking in slow motion and looking badass as hell. The bandits walk right into the trap that the villagers and the maidens have prepared, the very complicated maze that we saw being built in the previous episode. In this maze, they can use to cut off different pockets of the raiders and then stab them through the slats of the wooden fences. It seems to me that it has taken them quite a long time to build such a complicated thing while they could have easily asked for reinforcements instead of doing this and avoid somewhat bloodshed. But then we wouldn't have gotten to see those very interesting and beautiful fight scenes, so I get it, the plot needed it to be so. And bandits are always somehow more than they were before, even though they get crushed every time, a lot of them die, and somehow they get back with even more people. Again, I guess the plot needed it. So some of them get burnt. Others are ran through with stakes. Some of the shield maidens die as well. Like the one that was always cowing, like going like Ca-ca, I don't know why she was doing that the whole time, but at this point, when we see her getting beheaded, it's kind of satisfying. Oh my god, we wouldn't hear that annoying noise again. Thank God. Thank you. The bandits retreat because a lot of them died, but Whitehair remained. He now wants to fight Lagerte in hopes of killing her and thus restoring his reputation or something. He blames uh, Bjorn, for branding him and casting him out. He explains that it just so happens that he was on the side of Ivor. He could have easily been on the side of Bjorn. To which Wagert responds with, Bjorn didn't brand you for being loyal to Ivor. He branded you for being disloyal to Ragnar. And I'm like, what? To be perfectly fair, Ragnar has always seen Ivar as his one true heir. He has repeatedly said that Ivar is the most similar to him. He trained him to be a ruler. It was technically what Ragnar wanted. So, I don't know what this line is all about. I am guessing Waggert is is just too obsessed with Ragnar and continues to idolize him. Like I mentioned earlier, the fight between them is one of the best fights we have seen so far, and we have seen a lot of great fights in this season. Choreography is just way, way better than the last season, for example. Both of them take serious hits and grow wearier and more worn down by the moment. Wagerta gets a pretty bad blow on the side of her torso, her shield gets progressively smaller and smaller, and while the other shield maidens offer their help, she's like, no, no, I need to do this by myself, go away. There is also dramatic music, slow motion, it seems like she is sacrificing herself for well literally nothing. Why is it so important for her to die uh, or not die, we don't know, fighting him. She even opens her arms as if she is ready for him to kill her. But instead surprise, surprise, she uses this moment of him thinking that he has already won, but as White Hair goes in for the kill, she swoops to the side, the second comes up quickly and drives what is remaining of her shield into his neck and slices his throat with a sword she picked up from the ground. Now, after all of that, for some reason, Lagertha decides to go by herself to Kattegat and tell everybody what happens. She needs to go right there before even treating her wounds and even refuses Gunhild's suggestion to come with her because Gunhild is wounded and shouldn't travel which is exactly what Wagerta does. She is very much wounded, but decides to travel. And it doesn't seem very typical for Vagata. She wouldn't just ride off alone after such a serious wound has been inflicted on her. She could have taken some people with her the next day and just have a little bit of time to relax, but as we have seen, she apparently has some sort of death wish and just digs her grave deeper and deeper. In Kattegat, everyone has gathered around the table, all cozy and nice, with candlelight, contrasting the rain and darkness outside. A woman in what appears to me to be Rus clothing sings a song about Wagerto, I think. It is literally the only word from the lyrics that I recognize. All this is happening while the actual Lagarto is arriving barely alive. She falls from her horse and proceeds to drag herself on the ground. Manages to get up and stay on her feet for a little bit when she sees the seer. And at this point I am wondering, is she dead already? Is that why she is seeing him? While all this is happening, Fitzgerald is losing it again. Terrified of Ivor, still hallucinating, he leaves his hut, punches the woman that is always near him on his way, grabs a knife and goes out into the rain, sure that Ivor is coming. He still is having hallucinations or visions and is following the tail of a long black serpent. He sees that serpent as Ivor, and when he catches up to him, he proceeds to stab him repeatedly, only to realize after the hallucination is gone that it was actually Wagerto. And Wagerto is like, it's fine, I'm fine. It was foretold by the seer, so it's fine. If it's serious, don't worry, don't cry. It's all good. I was supposed to die. Please don't be sad. And she reveals something that I think it was mentioned in the earlier seasons. The seer has told her that she would be killed by a son of Ragnar. It is kind of a poetic justice for her to be killed by a son of Aslak, who she killed in the back, by the way. She shot her in the back. I am still pissed about that. So, it would make sense, like I said, that would be justice, that would be revenge, that would be the Viking way, but technically, <laughs> the way that it happened is so far from it. Burkvitserk is going to get even worse, I'm sure of it, he's going to blame himself, and this would drive him even further into madness. Very different things are happening in Rus. The wedding between Katya and Oleg proceeds, and this is like a very short scene. I wish it would be longer, because the costumes are beautiful, so detailed, so perfect, and I wish we had more opportunity to look at them closely. A lot of thought was put behind the way that everybody was dressed for this wedding. After it, it is just Ivor, Oleg, and Katya eating. Oleg reveals that he knows Ivor had a child with his wife, which suggests that he did his research and chose uh, Katya as his wife to specifically play games with Ivor's mind. She herself also seems to be on it, asks Ivor to take her dress off because she is way too warm and then Oleg proceeds to have sex with her on the table while Ivor is watching. Ivor does not want to stay there and look at them. He even says it, but Oleg will hear nothing of it. He must stay and watch. Oleg is, I guess, this is Oleg's way to assert his power and dominance over Ivor to kind of like flex his muscles. It is super gross. And all of us, including Ivor, are just cringing watching this whole scene. So yeah, like I said, we didn't learn much about uh, Katya's background. We don't know if she is free At this point, we just know that... Whatever Oleg is playing, she is in on it. She is trolling Ivor quite hardcore. But what is she exactly, we don't know. Maybe she is some sort of creature that was similar to Harvard. Do you remember Harvard? He was like this weird character that slept with Aslak and probably had some role in Ivor being who he is. So, maybe it is something like this. I don't know. I'm curious to find out what sort of explanation there would be. And I gotta say, a Xena-like explanation would not suffice for this type of show. Although it would be hilarious. <laughs> so, this is my episode for the last two Vikings episode. Recording it was kind of difficult... Because every time I try and record something, my neighbors are like, no, time to boom-boom. And like, no, don't boom-boom, I'm trying to record an episode of my podcast. So the next time we will see slash hear each other will be in two weeks. Stay tuned for that. If you are listening to this, you probably know where you can find this podcast. But let me tell you just in case. You can find it on its Anchor page, that is anchor.fm, slash 4 dash thought is spelled F-A-E. On Twitter, you can find this podcast under the username at feyfulthought underscore. There is also a Facebook page where I post regular updates. For comments, questions, and suggestions, feel free to use the email address feyfulthought at gmail.com. Or you can send me a voice message on the Anchor profile page, where you can find all of the social media info and all of the platforms the podcast is connected to, like Spotify, Stitcher, and so on. My personal Twitter is at ibawa underscore and my personal Instagram is at ibaewa underscore g. I wish you happy holidays. That is for today, guys. Till next time. Skull!